Well, do you have any nicknames? My children have all sorts of nicknames, with my son Alex having the most because he has five other siblings, and also because he has a dad who likes to make up names. Sometimes I call him Moose, for instance. Uh, well, it made sense to both of us. Plus, I love him with all my heart. So think with me through this. Um, who has the right to give you a name, a nickname? Do they have to love you? Would you let a bully name you? Well, because they did, they did though, right? And But I, do I accept that name? These are all good questions. Who do you give the right to rename you? Who has that right? In, in the adoption process, half of our kids received new first names. And through the court system, all of them were renamed Bauer. That renaming process didn't change the past, but it did reshape their destiny. And we'll be looking at the life and letters of St. Peter for a while, but that's not the name he was given at birth. So certainly not Saint, but also Peter wasn't the name. At the beginning of his letter in 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, he uses the name given him by Jesus and the title given him by Jesus. So let's read that and then we're going to dig into that backstory so that we can consider our own lives and the names we call ourselves. Yes, we're going there. So 1 Peter starts out like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's King Jesus, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in uh, a bunch of names, but what's modern day Turkey? So he called himself an apostle. That's someone sent by Jesus to declare the way of Jesus. But this is not where Peter started his journey. Some of you know this full well. Peter was a, a rash, brash fisherman whose mouth and choices got him into trouble. And many times he wasn't as sure of himself as he pretended, but he allowed Jesus naming rights to his life. Think about that. Because Jesus makes us what we are not. Okay. So two of the most important questions for you today are, are this. Who do you say Jesus is? And who does he say you are? So the Christmas story, as we've just been focusing on, reveals that John the baptizer was another unique child that had a specific role in the world. His job was to prepare the way for the Messiah, for Jesus. And his work would announce the coming kingdom and announce the king. And the baptizer is just calling it like it is. This is Jesus. Let's read in the gospel account of John, who was one of Jesus's earliest disciples. John 1, 29 through 42 talks about John the baptizer, not the author, John, but, but the forerunner of the Messiah it says this. He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on Jesus. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He 
on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. So that next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. So this is John the baptizer, right? He's got a large group of disciples looking for the kingdom of God, preparing to greet the king. And two of these disciples, John and Andrew, were with him. So he's standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay, so here's the scene where, where we meet Peter. He's already called Simon Peter because that's how he's known among all the Christians. And they're writing the story to, to these Christians. And so uh, we got Simon Peter here, but his name was Simon, son of John. Simon Bar-Jonah or Bar-Yonah. That would be in his Hebrew name, Shimon Bar-Yonah. But you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Kephas, which means Peter. So again, think about this with me. Who has the right to rename you? <laughs> Jesus has a vision for Shimon and gives him a new name on the spot. Right? Shimon Barjona. That's Hebrew. Kephas is, is rock, and that's in Aramaic. Petras, or Peter, is, is Greek. So he's, he's like Shimon or Simon the rock Barjona. Here he is. But Shimon the Rock's ability to live up to his new name is often in doubt in the Gospels, as, as some of you know. Jesus has to call him back to it over and over. No, 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 you're the Rock. No, you're the Rock. Peter would come to despair over his inability to live up to his name until the point where Jesus restores him. And I don't think it's much different with you and with me. We have an inner dialogue that threatens to take us down oftentimes. Sure, we build ourselves up, right? We try to. Okay, you got this. You can do this. You, you know, you're strong. <laughs> Some of you remember the daily affirmations from Saturday Night Live with uh, Stuart Smalley. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. <laughs> and uh, right, it's it's... I'm not saying that's terrible, but we can only believe that for a little while, right? Just it, because we know who we live with. We live with ourselves. The lies we believe about ourselves endure. They chase us around in our heads. I say lies, but I mean, there's, there's bits of truth to them, but they're distorted. You know, you're, you're really not that good, smart, or likable. In fact, it, it seems a, a stretch to call you lovable. That's what we experience in our minds. But we have to kind of get out of our own heads sometimes. And, you know, like for me, I, I don't consider myself a credible authority on who I am 
and on my impact in the world. I get it wrong all the time. We all need to put on a certain amount of self-confidence just to get up in the morning, right? To function in the world. And we can all pull off the confident look uh, with others some of the time. But, but like Peter, we're the, we're the most familiar with our failures and they, they haunt us. So what names do you call yourself? I think it's important to come to grips with your self-talk. It's true, but this isn't really a counseling session. I want to counter your self-talk with the two really important questions. Again, it's who do you say that Jesus is and who does Jesus say you are? Okay, very important questions. Jesus, who do you say that I am? Now, in Matthew chapter 16, 13 through 28, we have an amazing account of Jesus. He takes his disciples to the gates of the underworld to have a conversation about who he was. Now, outside Caesarea Philippi is a place that today looks like this. It's called Pan's Grotto. It's, a, it's the opening of a cave that goes down deep into springs that come out underneath it was a location of all sorts of worship to gods, including Caesar Augustus. And, and they all believed that this was the threshold of the underworld. This was a gateway to the abode of the dead, right? So Jesus takes his disciples to this region, maybe to this very location, maybe to this rock, to clarify who he was and what he was going to do to raid enemy territory and build his kingdom. Okay, here we go. Now, when Jesus had come into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So he's talking about himself, a great designation, the Son of Man. Um, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, so these prophetic voices, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? A very simple but profound question, right? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Christ, that's the Messiah, the expected royal, ruling, priestly figure that was going to come and reset all of Israel. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Petros. And on this Petra, this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the underworld and its ruler, shall not prevail against it. You are Petros. And on this Petra, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Okay, this is this is for you to know right now. But but it's a high point for Peter. Can you imagine? God had revealed to him what what was going on and that who it was that Peter was following. I'm sure Peter felt great about this. Jesus used his name in a play on words to declare the spiritual warfare on the enemy of humanity, the devil, who had humanity in the grips of death. Right, the fear of death comes from 
the one who has the power to take us down. Peter is ready for battle, or so he thinks. He's the rock, like this declaration of Jesus as Messiah is the rock. It's all right up and to the right from here. Success is on the horizon. This is great. Actually, wait, not so fast. Success in Jesus' kingdom comes through suffering. What? <laughs> this is a hard lesson to learn. We're still learning this. He goes on in this passage. From, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and, and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now pause there for a moment, right? He's thinking, no, you're, you're the Messiah. We're going to build this kingdom, and it's going to be this vision of success that I have. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He looks Peter in the eye and hears and responds to the voice of Satan. How quickly Peter goes from the mountaintop to the valley, from the heavens to the underworld. One minute he's revealing the glorious truth given him by the Father in heaven, and the next he's parroting the voice from Hades, from the father of lies. Suffering, when it comes, it causes us to question our identity. We start quaking in our boots. The voices come out and start shouting us down. Is that just me or is that you too? When things don't go the way we want, when success doesn't look like it's just up and to the right, like a, like a good stock chart, right? Praise God that his view of us doesn't waver. His name for us stays true when we beat ourselves up. The passage goes on where Jesus just doubles down on, on suffering as the way of Jesus. It solidifies our identity. It doesn't ruin it. This is something we'll, we'll quickly pick up later in Peter's letters where he starts to say, it's okay because it proves our faith genuine. So Jesus goes on in this passage of Matthew. He told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person to what he's done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Suffering is the way of Jesus. So let's get back to our two really important questions. Who do you say Jesus is? Right, Christ, the Son of the living God. We've looked at that. Now, who does Jesus say that you are? What does Jesus call you? Now, 
In the past weeks, we've rehearsed some of the promises of God to us, which identify those who swear allegiance to King Jesus as beloved children of God, right? With promises and inheritance. That's what he calls us. And this is so good. We need to lean into that. But what if, what if there's more? What does Jesus call you? To find this out, it's going to take two conversations. The first conversation is this. Ask Jesus to fight back the enemy, to put Satan behind you, to put the lies behind you and silence that voice. Because see, if Satan can keep you believing the lies about yourself, he can limit your impact in the world. Your name, what Jesus calls you, is a matter of spiritual warfare. Satan would rather you know what he calls you than what Jesus calls you. Does that make sense? Yeah. We've talked about how we've got a list of our own names that we call ourselves, the names others have called us, the whispers of insufficiency and shame, the traps of guilt with, without end. If you've lived in this box for a long time, you'll think, well, this is just who, who you are. Well, that's just who I am. You know, maybe it's, I'm shrill, or I'm demanding, I'm power hungry, I'm a control freak. Or I'm, I'm sloppy, I'm lazy, I'm stupid, uh, useless, forgetful, you know, whatever. Your personality starts to form around these things, and they become the box you live in. But first, you've got to get back to the basics. Who Jesus says we are, right, beloved children of God, forgiven, accepted, promoted, protected. Jesus, send us, right? Send us into the world. The children of God are sent as a part of the Father's business. So we're the sent children of God. Jesus said, as the Father sends me, so send I you. So what does he want me to do? Who am I to him? So what we need to do is push back that conversation, the, the voices, the names, all that, and just say, Jesus, would you clear some space in my head? I want to take captive the thoughts and make them obedient to you, Jesus. Would you just clear my head? I want to hear this for the second question. Jesus, who do you say I am? And I'd love to say it's as simple as just asking him, but if you haven't done the work before this, you may only hear the lies. You won't hear the truth. I highly suggest you take some space to be alone and undistracted. After you've asked Jesus to silence the lies and put Satan behind you, you can ask him, what do you see in me? You can ask him, what do you call me? Who do you say I am? Because who he says you are has cosmic importance and will be contested by Satan. In fact, as God reveals who he sees you to be, he may just give you a couple words that, that you go, oh, no. He'll probably end up shaking your head like, no, I'm not worthy. No, that can't be true. Um, I wouldn't be so quick to disbelieve what God has to say about you. Allow me to model, as I close, just the type of prayer I'm talking about. This will be abbreviated, but you'll need to expand upon it, okay? Jesus, I admit I've believed lies about myself. I want to tell the truth about you, and I need you to tell me the truth about myself. You are Lord. You have the authority. You have the right to rename me. So speak, Lord. I'm repenting of my sin and the times that I've wanted you to be quiet so I could go on my own way. 
But as you spend some time there, just bringing your relationship with Jesus back to current. Any unconfessed sin needs to just be agreed upon. And that was rebellious. I, I, I need to do that. And then to say to Jesus, I accept your forgiveness and I thank you for your grace. I live because of your grace. It's all that I have. Jesus, I need you to send the enemy away and silence his voice. I only want to hear from you. I need to hear from you. I'm allowing you naming rights. Who do you say that I am? Where are you sending me? Now, it's so important to our shared mission together, sent to our city, for you to know who Jesus says you are. Everything begins to fall into place when you know who you are. You can stop trying to be someone you're not. You can live in the grace and love of Jesus as the man or woman he's called you to be. And we'll continue to train you. Remember, training is available. We'll start a training center in a few weeks to train you to be a disciple maker. So let me know of your interest in that. As we get back to Peter, right? He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Unlikely title, but when he was empowered by the Spirit, when he sank into his name, he did indeed become Peter. Simon Peter, bedrock preacher of the early church. He's the healer of sick and the lame, author of these letters that we're going to study, fearless unto death, because he knew his name and he gave Jesus the naming rights because Jesus alone has the right to tell you who you are.